Welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Coffee Club podcast. As always, I'm here with my strike partner, Mr. Matthew Craddock. Hello, Matthew. Good afternoon, mate. Good afternoon. Uh, what an episode today. I know we say that quite often, but um, the fact that we were chatting to the guest for an extra hour or so after recording says a lot, doesn't it, mate? Yeah, I think I think we, we let everyone into the secret today that we only do this for us, uh, and we just and we just pick people that we actually want to speak to, um, and that's why every guest is so good because we've just literally wanted to speak to them, so we try and get them on the podcast. So yeah, I mean Neil Neil was brilliant today. I mean what what a humble guy, what a fantastic journey. Um, he's just so into learning and getting better and. You know, well, well, it's just a brilliant, like you said, we, we've been talking for an extra hour after after we finished recording and I hope that um, you guys enjoy it as much as we did. Yeah, I'm sure they will, mate. Um, before, we, before we jump into the episode, make sure you go and subscribe. Uh, there's plenty of podcasts. Um, we're up to about... Well, closing in on 30, I think, now, by the time these go live, which is, which is incredible because... Um, so to think that this was once just a, an idea of how to speak to people and now it's, it's almost 30 deep. So, uh, yeah, please go and share it and, and subscribe and um, get yourself uh, in on the, uh, the action because we are going to be more regular, Matt. We've made that promise again. So we are going to be more we regular. Have. We um, have. But listen, without, without further ado, here is uh, our conversation with Newcastle United under-18s lead coach, Neil Winskill. Good afternoon, Matt and I are back once again. Today, delighted to be joined by Neil Winskill. Good afternoon, Neil. Good afternoon, chaps. Great to, uh, great to have you on, mate, and I uh, appreciate you giving up your time. I, I guess you must be uh, preparing for a return in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, we are. I mean, thanks, thanks first of all, for asking us to do it. Um, really kind of you. Uh, I'm, I'm off at the moment preparing for the new season so yeah I, I'll be honest I'm I'm just happy to talk football and coaching and all things around it because I'm starting to miss it now I was, I was gonna say seeing seeing some of your stuff on social media how do you deal with quote-unquote time off how do you find that is that a challenge or badly <laughs> um yeah I'm not good I mean my little girl's at school my wife works at the school so not only am I off work, I'm home alone. Uh, and there's only so many times you can cut the grass and hoover the carpet. <laughs> so I, I kind of, um, it's great that the Euros is on. That's kind of filled a bit of a void, which has is, is been a blessing. Um, I've went back to college for six weeks to study, just to try and fill some time in. Um, and it's very, very difficult not to get the computer out and to start sitting drawing sessions up for next season and mm. stuff like that. It's you've, you've got to try and switch off and I'm just not very good at it. I'll, I'll be honest. And I haven't got any hobbies neither. I wish I had a hobby, but I haven't. <laughs> I, saw, I saw, I saw you'd gone back to college on Twitter. What, what are you studying? Uh, I'm studying counselling, oh. um, which is an interesting subject. And I, I'll be honest, I think, um, I mean, you, you see lots of people talking about coaching and, you know, you're the groundsman and you're a psychologist and you're a laundry person and you, you're a kit man and all the rest of it. And I just I just find the more the more I'm getting into 
you know, working with all our players, that there's a large element of counselling skills required. Yeah. And I think beyond common sense and, you know, having a little bit of experience and having seen a little bit of life before, um, it's not something I'm an expert in by any stretch. And I just thought I probably need to upskill myself a bit here. So uh, I went and done that for six weeks, been really good. What was the what was the biggest thing you've taken from that? Was it something that you thought straight away I can I can bring this in straight away? I think one of the things, Matt, that struck us in one of the sessions that the uh, the, the lecturer had done was on listening skills, and she got talking about the different types of listener yeah. that there are, and she asked you to think about your own personal. Um, character and the way you do things and, and, and ask you to think about which type of listener you are and I think you, you see a lot of stuff now about getting to know your players and how important it is to build relationships and and, and, I, and I, I totally agree with all of that how you do it is the key thing for me how, how do you actually do that and this thing on listening and how to listen to people and what type of listener you are and what type of listener you would like to be but you then also give you some strategies on how to be a good listener um, you know, a little, little thing like when somebody's talking, close your mouth, which sounds really stupid, but you do tend to find yourself when you are listening to people that you're actually preparing what you're going to say next. And I dare say we're going to do that during this conversation. So actually resisting the temptation to jump in and keeping your mouth closed helps you actually engage your ears a bit more. Simple, but I think, yeah, I love that. I use that. It, look, look, you were just on audio because you'd have seen me and Lee both shut our mouth then at the same time <laughs> yeah. while you were talking. <laughs> yeah, you started, that's the worry. You start to think about how you do stuff and it looks like rafting, yeah. Yeah. Lee, Lee, and, I, <laughs> Lee and I were on the uh, head of coaching course together and we did a mentoring course which, which sort of covered some of the stuff you were talking about. And I think so, that, that really was one of the big things that jumped out at me as well as actually I, I think I was probably... I probably still do it now, but I was listening, ready to respond, not actually listening. And, and that was something that was, you know, I was, you know, with some of the examples that we're talking about when you come home, you know, and your wife's telling you about something that's happened in the day. And instead of me listening, I'm actually thinking, well, how would I solve it? And I'll just, I'll just tell you the answer. And actually that's, it's not listening, is it? It's, I'm just, I'm just waiting to respond. I'm not really listening to what you're saying. And actually that deep, if you get to that deeper level, you get not only a better connection with the person, but you actually get a better outcome as well. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I think it's just being, being conscious of these type of things, that, that, that the softer skills of coaching or interpersonal relationships but can have a big impact. So yeah. it's, it's a case of trying to identify these things and, and just learning. It. You know, I, don't, I don't want to learn to the nth degree about it. I just need to know enough uh, to make me better. And that's kind of what it's that's what it's done so far. Well, Neil, already I, I, I can we can hear and see why why we've got you on because I think we're going to get into some real, real deep, interesting conversation. And, and Matt and I set up this podcast to do exactly this, just pick brains from people. But before we go back onto that, for those people who might not be familiar with you or your work, and I would encourage people to go and go and follow Neil if you don't on on social media because he does share some some real good stuff on there, which certainly has, has made me think and challenge me in my role. So thanks for that, mate. But 
I see that you talk around going full circle, which is a really interesting story. Can you give us a whistle-stop tour around, I guess, Neil, as a, as a young player and transitioning through to the, the coach you are now? Yeah, I've, I've been... I've been really lucky, Lee, if I'm honest, really lucky. Um, that along that, along that, you hear the word journey quite a bit. It's, a, it's not a word that I use, but it is, I suppose. Um, throughout my life, I've been lucky to meet really good people who have really helped. So I started back in, I was an apprentice at Newcastle, 94, 1994 to 1996. And that was the era of Kevin Keegan and the entertainers. Um, so I was at the club at a time where, you know, they were, they were everybody's second favourite team. And, you know, they were fantastic to watch. They were, it was the, the inception of Sky TV was coming around at the time. Um, but ultimately for a young player, it was going to be very, very difficult to break into that group. And I had a good first year, not, not a great second year. And at the end of the two years, I, I got released. And... I had that, that horrible moment that, you know, the players that I work with now, I, I see them having this moment themselves. And it's inevitable when you work with a group of, you know, 15, 20 players. Um, of what am I going to do now? What do I do next year? And I went, my mom took us to a, a careers advice place down in the local town. And um I say this all the time, but I genuinely think that if that moment in time, if the person in that meeting had said to me, there's a bricklaying course and we think you should do it, I would be a bricklayer now. Um, Because I was so, I I just did not know what I was going to do. So thankfully, the person in the meeting who I went to speak to suggested that I go back to college to study. And I was waiting for the phone call from Real Madrid to come in to say that, you know, we've just heard you've been released and we're going to take you across the screen. It never, ever happened. It hasn't happened to this day. So whilst I was waiting for that phone call that I think everybody in that situation thinks is going to come, um, I went back to college and I studied and I got involved with a local non-league team, who uh, a team called Newcastle Blue Star, who have won the FA Vars and are a pretty, were a pretty famous club up this neck of the woods. And the guy who was the manager of the team worked for the city council and he run the football development department of the leisure services section. And he asked if I would get involved. And I'll be honest, I think he, he probably, because the club weren't paying a lot of money, I think the idea of getting me involved in the coaching was a bit of a hoop to get me to sign for the club. So I kind of, I took the bait and I signed for the club and I ended up playing for them for two seasons. And I got involved with the coaching from there. Uh, and I spent, I was just working it out before, I started there in 1996. And I was a part-time coach and I was doing schools and holiday courses and all, all the stuff like that. But I was studying at the same time. And I, I was there until uh, 2008. So I was there 12 years. And that was where I learned the skills of being a good coach. And the environment I was in, where I'm working in schools one minute with advanced players the next minute, with a girls group the next minute, working with players with disabilities the next minute. You know, that that variety was a, a, a fantastic grounding for what was to come next. Um, that that department that I work for in the council then merged with the, the football clubs, football in the community programme and became what is now known as the Castanated Foundation. 
So I worked, I worked there. Uh, I, before that, I'd been the assistant football development officer for the council. I kind of worked up the ladder. Um, and I went there as the football development manager. And I was there for a, a good number of years, loved it, and got the opportunity to go and work at the academy full time in 2014. Um, from the minute I left Newcastle as a player, I've always worked for them. I was always I worked for the Centre of Excellence when I was just starting to, to get um, the hang of coaching. I worked for the academy when it came around in, uh, I think it was 2000, 2001. Started working there with the under 10s, then went to the under 13s, uh, then went to the under 15s, then the under 16s. And like I say, in 2014, I went back as a full-time under 15s coach. And the season before last was asked about to take the under 18s, which is where I am now. So I've always worked for the club ultimately. Um, but I had a fantastic experience at Newcastle City Council, a great one at Newcastle United Foundation. I had a little spell in non-league football, which was great. Um, but been very, very lucky to have met some of the people that I've met. You know there, Neil, you said around an 18-year-old um, just come to the end of your apprenticeship and were told yeah. that this, that's the end of your playing time here. Do you think you sort of, or maybe the person in the careers office, was it you touched on a minute ago about your counselling course? Are they, is that kind of, was that quite instrumental, that experience and maybe having someone there who, like you said, gave you, certain piece of advice and maybe believed in you or encouraged you to go and do your stuff at college is that maybe why you're looking to do that kind of counseling course and add that to your bow string to your bow because it obviously had a profound effect on your career didn't it yeah it's a great point Lee yeah maybe I've never even thought about that but maybe it has I think uh at that at that moment in time I mean I signed on the dole so uh, you know you have that, that that experience of going stand in the queue waiting to pick your money up uh, I've got no idea of what I'm going to do next. I've only ever known football. Um, I don't think the call's going to come in, but I'm I'm living on hope that it might. And the, the person that I went to see that day, as it turns out, was actually, it was a sister of a friend of mine, and I didn't realise at the time. Um, and she she just sat and listened and, and asked really good questions. And the best question I think she asked was, well, what are you good at? Well, I'm good at football. She says, yeah, but the opportunities within the professional game, as you found out, are not, there's not lots of them. So is there another avenue into professional football? And then you, then you start, you're getting, you're cutting into the, the detail of, well, what's, what's on offer here? And then you start, you're starting to plot about what you're going to do next. I actually, when I was working, when I left Newcastle, I started playing for this team. Um, I, I started coaching with a guy um, who I, I'll, I'll name drop because I've never seen him for a, a lot of years, but I know he's still around. A, a guy called um, Peter Winsper, and he was the guy that kind of took me under his wing. And he's now a, he's now a teacher in a primary school, and I can understand why because he was he was like the Pied Piper with young players, <laughs> unbelievable. And I got to work with him, and I got to work with a guy called Terry Mitchell, who I, I class as a good friend of mine to this day. And, and these two these two were the first people that I'd met that were coaches. And Terry, Terry had been a taxi driver and a bricklayer and had, had said, oh, you know, 40-year-old, whatever, 
no, I've had enough of this. I want to go and pursue my dream and became a full-time coach and still is a full-time coach now. And he's just, he got beaten the FA Vars a couple of months back now, but his team were, were brilliant on the day. He, he was he was outstanding in his in his own way, and Peter was was outstanding as well. And Peter's brother was a guy called Paul Winsper, who was Sir Bobby Robson's um, fitness coach when he was at Newcastle. And Paul was involved a little bit with this team, Newcastle Blue Star, and he he was involved as a player, I think, but he was also doing a little bit of like the. I dare say he was doing a university course at the time. He's probably using us as guinea pigs for his dissertation <laughs> or something. Doing little bits and bobs. And I, I got to see him one night at the training session. I told him about the experience that I'd had at the, the careers place. And he said, well, why don't you go and study sports science? Because, again, I had no idea what was on offer at the college. I thought it was going to be like a football course, which there is nowadays, isn't there? But yeah, that yeah. Was, it was nothing like that. He said, why don't you go and study sports science? He says, because I think that'll be useful and I think that's where the game's going. And that was it. And that was it. So that, I, you, I, like I say, I've met these two people who kind of pointed me in the right direction. Do you think that your variety of experiences has helped shape that, that, that maybe that feeling of, you know, maybe it was rejection or negative, you know, when you're, you're having to go, well, what do I do now? And then after that, you have such a variety of experiences, like you say. Has that shaped, I mean, it will have shaped you, but how do you think it shaped you into the coach and the person that you are now? Um, I think it's a great question. Uh, I think the, the one thing that I would like to think that I have is empathy. Yeah. I've got empathy with, with the players and, and what, what they're going through and, you know, how, how difficult it can be at times. And I think that comes from the experience that I had. When I, when I look back now, my motivation to be a coach, and this is no disrespect to the coaches that I had at the time, was to be better than they were. I wanted to, I wanted to give the players a better experience than what I'd had. And I wanted to give people more support and more advice and more guidance and mentoring than what I thought I had received. Because I thought, and I think it wasn't just it wasn't just our club at the time. I think it was every club. Once you came off the end of the production line, it was up to you. Yeah. It, things have massively changed for the for the better nowadays. And I, I see the support that the lads get within the academy system now. And it's 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 so far removed from what it used to be like. It's it's brilliant. Um, so the motivation was there to do that. But I think that the grounding that I had working at the city council and working with, you know, the, the variety of players and, and adults that we, we had come through the doors was, you, you, you cannot buy that. When I think back now, and I, and I see a lot of young coaches now who are very fast wanting to go through the badges and they want to go from 0 to 60 and the matter of weeks, you know, I, I spent a hell of a long time and I really enjoyed the time as well working, you know, in, in that grassroots part of, of football. And I would never change it for anything. The one yeah. thing that I th it gave me was that the, the kids paid to be there. And in order to survive, they had to, they had to come back. We, they needed to come back. So we, we needed to make sure we give them a really good experience because if, if they didn't come back, then we haven't got a job anymore. Yeah. And 
And I think that that element of it, of how you interact with people and how you're positive and enthusiastic and how you're personal with them and how you get to know the parents, because ultimately you want to see them again. Uh, and I think that probably that's one of the things that it gave me that I've still, I hope I've still got. Yeah, I think I think it comes across, mate. Um, you, you, you've you've alluded to it a few times. One of the things I wanted to to ask you about because I know you've um, you, you've completed the UEFA Pro license as well. How and maybe I'm covering something we've just touched on, but give us an insight how you ensure you keep developing, you keep challenging yourself, you, whether that's football wise or or like you said this other stuff. And, and how important is it? Because like you said, just some coaches that go through just seeing badges as a, or qualifications as development, it's, it's probably only one side, isn't it? So how do you, I guess it could be easy to, to rest on your laurels and go, I've done the qualifications, but how are you keeping yourself challenged and, and developing when you've, when you've done, so like I say, all the qualifications that are out there at the moment? I find that you go through stages with this, and I think it's a bit like uh, I speak to a lot of coaches now, and uh, and I ad- identify them with them completely that they're still looking for sessions, they want practices, and I think that's that's another another angle of it. You go through stages with that, don't you? Where you you're hoovering everything up, and then you've got so much stuff you can't make sense of it, and then you get to a point further down the line where actually you're not interested in any of that because you're just going to make your own stuff up. And your own stuff's probably better in the context of where you are at that moment in time. And I think it's probably the same with, with CPD. I think initially you go through the stage of you want to go through the badges because you think the badges are the thing that's going to get you through the door. And, and, I, and I dare say that is the case. Is any job, you know, you need the relevant qualifications to do the job. But I think the more that I've, the more that I've grew up, and I dare say, like you said, Lee, I've got I've got the qualifications, you know, in, in the, the file type of thing. You look for the areas where you think, well, where am I not good? And where can I be better? And then you get to the point, well, who can help? And in, invariably, it's not a course. It's just going speaking to people. And I think I haven't gone through all the badges. I went through a period and I've got a couple of coaching buddies, a lad called Ben Dawson uh, and a, a guy called Liam Bramley, who we, we went on, I dare say, like a three, four year lads holiday, just touring around, going <laughs> speaking to people. And we went to like Ajax, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, Juventus. And then we started to diversify a bit and let's go and speak to uh, the Red Arrows. Let's go and speak to... Jeremy Corbyn down at Westminster, let's go and speak to, and, and people are like laughing, thinking, you're not going to go and see them. People don't be daft. How are they going to let you in? And it's amazing when you ask the question. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I've got a great photograph, which I, I keep showing myself every now and again. Little guy from Forest Hall, rejected by Newcastle at 18, and I'm sitting in Prime Minister's question time. And I was, <laughs> how, how on earth I ended up here? But... <laughs> At, at the time, I was doing my pro license final thesis on communication skills, and thought, well, you know, he has he has a, a, a discipline where they're having to get up and publicly speak every day, and they can't get it wrong. They can't make a mistake, and they've got to get that message across. And they've only got 
30 seconds on the news or whenever it is to get to get the point. Let's go and speak to them. And you ask a couple of questions and before you know it, there you are. <laughs> so I think long-winded answer to your question, but I'm at the point now where I kind of look for the gaps and I look where I think I can be better and I, I then try and find the best people that I think I can get to to speak. And it might be going on a course like it is at the moment, but I've also spoke to a, um, a guy who, um, I don't know what his official title is, but he's a listening expert. And I've spoken to a body language expert. I've spoken to somebody from the FBI, believe it or not. I, I just, I've, I've got an inquisitive mind. Did the FBI <laughs> come speak to you or, or did you go to them? <laughs> the FBI did the, fell out of Yeah, did, did, he, did he come to you looking for you or did you go to him? Yeah, we, went, we met in a dark alley in the suburbs <laughs> of down, down New York. <laughs> yeah. what, what did you get from the FBI guy then? That's, that's interesting. This, this is really, Neil, this is pretty much what, what this podcast is for, for Lee and I, really, is a selfish way of going, well, this, this guy seems really interesting. Let's go and yeah. speak to him. And, you know, this is, this is very similar to what you just said there, actually. Well, well what, what interests you and excites you? Let's go and speak to somebody who's doing it. And that's yeah. pretty much what, what we did. What, what, did, what did you get from the FBI? Well, I, I'm going back a bit here. When I, when I did the pro-license thesis, I was... I was inspired by uh, who you, you'll, you'll know, God rest his soul, Dick Bate, who yeah, was our tutor on his on our elite coach of the world and did the pro license as well. And he was just, he was just a one. He was five star. He was the amazing. Best. He was yeah. the best. And he just he had this, he just had this way of communicating stuff and his little acronyms and his change of voice and his questions and all that. He was just such an engaging person to listen to. So when I got the chance to do the, the thesis, I thought, I'll do it on communication. Um, but the, the tutors wanted us to kind of hang it on something. So it wasn't just like the, a massive subject like communication. So I did it on press conferences. That was kind of the angle. And I've never done a press conference. So I, I, I kind of I thought that the situation might be something that I never, ever come into contact with. But all the messages that I'll get behind it, the knowledge behind it would be really good for any walk of life in any any uh, forum. So I did it on that. And um, the, the the FBI one was, he was a retired FBI. And he, he just not long since been retired. And, and it was to do with dealing with difficult questions and questioning techniques that I was interested in. Okay. So, you know, when they've, when they've got somebody in and that, and then no comment, no comment, no comment, no comment. And you see it on the TV when you're watching all these dramas on the TV. It must be so frustrating for the guy, the guy or the, the lady who's asking the questions. So I'm thinking, like, so how do you how do you deal with difficult questions? How do you ask difficult questions? And it was down the questioning route. And um we then got into stuff like, well, how do you how do you know if someone's lying? So I go to speak to a player and the player tells me a story. What, what am I looking for that would alert me to the fact that this is not true? So he starts giving me like things about, if you look for this, look for that, that's a tell it. Amazing, it was, yeah. it was brilliant. So I, I can never ever watch like Silent Witness or Midsummer Murders <laughs> again in the same way. So I, identify, I can identify who it was straight away. Yeah. 
my my wife does uh, similar so she, she works in psychology and stuff and she's always doing that sort of stuff so I can't get away with anything it's like no no there's definitely the chocolate biscuits were gone they were gone no chance <laughs> Yeah, so Neil, listen, listening to, to you talk there, I'm getting a picture in my head about the type of coach that you are. Would you give us a flavour of just to see if you know I'm I'm right in my thinking of how you are as a coach? How does that reflect onto the pitch when you're I'd on love the grass? To throw that question back at you, Matt, and see well, what type of coach I am. But I'll... well, I, I, well, I can tell you if you'd like. I mean, I I would guess I would guess that you're very much. Um, questions, discovery, support, you know, high challenge, high support. I would guess you'd be be that end of the spectrum rather than the telling type frameworks. I imagine that you probably set a framework and, you know, it's very exploratory and supportive and questioning and, you know, delving into that with the, the players. That's That would be my take from just ne- Neil's, to you. Neil's just working out. If you're lying or telling the truth, he's, he's learned. <laughs> yeah. I'm just turning my camera off. Yeah. <laughs> right, that's interesting. Um, I've never, I've, I've never been one for pigeonholing yourself. Yeah. And because and, 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 I don't, I don't massively see the benefit of that personally. So uh, I'll use a totally different example. When, I, when I, you see people talking about you know, unopposed practice as opposed to game-based practice. Yeah. And, and people are really... And, and I dare say when, when, when the Youth Awards came around, and I was a tutor for the FA at the time, and I used to hear that the candidates, well, you know, I'm going to go down the, the Youth Award route. I'm going to go down the, the, the FA level two, three route. I'm thinking, well, like, why, why do you feel the need to yeah. segregate everything and then pick one, one or the other? And, and it's the same with the unopposed and the game-like stuff. And people are very, very quick to, to jump on the ship of one or the other. Um, I think in answer to your question, Matt, yeah, I would I, I like to go down that end of the spectrum. Yeah. Because um, I think it's got it's got many, many benefits. But I'm also not adverse to going right down the other end of the spectrum neither. Yeah. Um, do I do passing drills? Yes. Do I do sessions where there's no questions whatsoever and it's all me telling, like the old school UEFA A license? Yes. And I think I think it's the variety that yeah. keeps it fresh for the players and keeps it fresh for you as well. I think we've all got a, a preference, and my preference, if you were to put that on a continuum, would be probably... Um, if you're going zero, zero where it's all tell and a hundred where it's all, you know, the, the question answer it. I'm probably like 60 to 70% yeah. towards that. So what, what, what are your non-negotiables then? It might be an easier way of what, what, when you're, when you're thinking about you as a coach or you're planning a session, what are your non-negotiables? So like what are, what's definitely going to happen every session? So you're right, like the session might look different from day to day yeah. and you might tell, but what, what, are your, what are your non-negotiables? Every time I come to watch you, I would see these yeah. sort of things. Um, again, I love, I love an analogy, right? So in, in one of my favourite bands is Queen. Yes, me right? too. Show, show me the age a little bit now. And I've seen a documentary on them a while back and, and they talked about... Uh, the set that they, they sing 
the first part of the set is like punching them between the eyes. It's all a big tub thumpers. It's getting people dancing and throwing beer around and all the rest of it. And then you hit them with the new stuff in the middle and a couple of look like ballads. And then you finish off with all your big ones to send them home happy. <laughs> so I think, all right, to take that, take that to coach. And I, 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 if I put an umbrella over it, and I've got I've got an acronym that I would use, and I'll share that in a sec. But the first the first thing under the umbrella, they, they have to skip the work. Yeah. And they have to skip away. And when they're skipping away, they cannot wait to come back the next day. Now I'm going back to when I was at the council here about people. Yeah, links straight back. Yeah. Yeah. And and if if they don't do that, I think I've got it wrong. I've got it wrong. They've got it, they've got to be dying to get there. And when it finishes, they've got to be disappointed it's over. Um, that's the that's kind of the atmosphere I want to create. And in in that, I have there's five things that I would say or the non-negotiables, three O's, two C's. So the O's, it's got to be relevant. It's got to be relevant to the group. Wherever they are at that moment in time, whatever they need at that moment in time, it, it they have to see the purpose and the benefit of what you're doing. Because if you haven't got that, I, do, I don't think the buy-in. Um, so I think I think relevance is, is key. And I think that the danger of the modern coaches that go on Twitter and they see a session that you know Pep Guardiola has delivered, and that's what they deliver with their group. But the rationale behind Pep using it and them using it's different, and that's the relevance bit. It's got to be for your audience. Um, it's got to be realistic. The game, the game to me is um, it's a game that goes up and down, and it's got goals at either end, and it's in a direction. Yeah. So if you take that as if you take that as the basis of what the game is, then your practices and your work should revolve around the game. Um, I've went through the stage of you know flouncy sessions with cones and poles and goals and you know, all all of that stuff. I went through all that, and I probably now go back to the things that are more basic and simple, so that they actually you're not you're not spending your time getting the players used to the practice. Yeah, actually, the practice is simple, and you're actually then teaching. Um, so it's got to, it's got to be realistic, and there's got to be repetition. I think if if I had a slogan on the front of my T-shirt, so if you think like McDonald's is I'm loving it, Nike just do it. And I think mine would be opportunity provider, and I think that's what you do as a coach. You provide opportunity, and that opportunity can be anything from video to a specific type of game that you want to play with them. To a specific opponent you want to come up against, you provide opportunities for them to improve, and you need to provide as many opportunities as you can for them to experience stuff. Um, so they're the three R's, and then the two C's: challenge. Uh, it, it, it's got to be challenging, and I think by that, and this might be controversial, but I think, I think you you probably need to aim it at the best players. Because uh, I think the danger is if you aim it, if you aim it at the players in the bottom half of the group, then you're possibly neglecting them. Where if you aim at the other half of the group, the ones below have got to catch up. So the challenge is to keep up and maintain ground on the ones that are maybe striving ahead at that moment in time. So I think it's got to be challenging. And a coach I used to work with at the academy many years ago said that this, any session you do should be 60% achievable. Now, I'm not sure where he pulled that figure from, but... I think the idea that everything works great, 
then there's no challenge. So there has to, it has to be um, aspirational, what you're doing. And they've yeah. got to want to come back and have another go at it. And then the last one, competitive. Got to be competitive. Um, my little girl's just getting a Nintendo Switch and she's got two games on it. And when she gets to a point in the game when she can't do it, she'll ask me to switch it off and put another one on. And I'm saying, no, no, you need to keep going. You need to keep practicing, try something different. You know, how are you going to get to the next level? I think it's too easy to kind of, maybe it's, is it society? Is it modern children these days where it's just quickly bounced to something else? So I like, the, I like making sure that the sessions have got a competitive nature to them. And that does not have to be me against Matt. It does not have to be the Reds against the Blues. It can be me against me. Um, but there has to be something where you're striving to get to the next or striving to beat the next person or the next group or whatever. And I tend to find that brings about the intensity of your sessions as well. That's, um, <clears throat> that's something you touched on there. We, Matt and I have heard a couple of times speaking to people around the beauty is in the simplicity now. Do you think you've had to go full circle? Like you said, you went through the bit of the fluffy sessions or the, the fancy stuff. Yeah, but actually now it's but actually now it's your 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 deep understanding and knowledge of the subject matter which allows you to to strip it back and make it simple not just in your coaching but even in your practices that still has a a high high output and effect on your players is that something that you'd encourage coaches to just to just keep getting towards I think so I think I think we all set off striving for the end of the rainbow you know, where the pot of gold is. And if you do it this way, you'll achieve this success. And, you know, you then start looking at what the professionals are doing and what Mourinho is doing and what Klopp's doing. And and I probably I probably discovered this when, when we went on that little tour of all of the clubs. And we did this over like a two, three year period, but it was like a running joke at the end. We went, we went to nearly every of the big clubs in Europe and we saw the same session. And I was saying, <laughs> I was saying to the lads, I'm saying like, come on, lads. I said, I've spent £1,000 doing this and I'm seeing the same thing as I saw two weeks ago. Um, so I think you, you chase, you chase, you know, the, the, the king's suit of clothes, isn't it? You're looking for something that's kind of not there. And you then eventually go back to simplicity. And I think that manifests itself in two different ways so that the practices look simple, but it's the planning that goes into them that gets you what you want anyway. So, you know, simple example, you know, if, if you work with a group who don't defend the box particularly well, well, don't put a goalie in. But the other team have got to be in the box to score. I'm talking the penalty box here. Yeah. And straight away, if they don't defend the box, they ain't got anybody in the goal behind them. So it's a, it's a simple idea, but will bring about defending them three white lines of the 18-yard box like Italy are doing in the, the Euros at this moment in time. Mm. Um, it'll bring about that. So that the simplicity underpinned behind that is the thought process of how you design to get the outcome that you want. But then I don't think we should neglect then the detail in the teaching. So simple practices, um, the details in the coaching and the teaching. And 
I think if you if you if you get that the wrong way around, you can spend a lot of time. And I've done this so many times and still do it, wrestling with the practices, and there's no teaching happening. Yeah. So I kind of strip it back the other way now. I think that's something that that's there's two things that jumped out at me while you were talking, and and going on to session planning, I I've definitely done that full circle where actually my practice is dead dead simple, you know, and to the point where someone goes. Oh, could you? Can I have that practice? And you'd be like, you can, but it's literally, it's it's this. It's nothing. There's nothing to it. There's the practice. But actually, yeah. all the detail and all the thought is in is in the coaching and the patterns and the detail that you're going to give out. And I think yeah. that's where I probably that's where I, I I was similar. Where actually it was all about the session, and the session had to be different, and we had to try and do it. And and. I just had this. I just had these moments where you just think it is just really simple. Just, just keep it. Does it look like the game? Just, just do that. Ball goes from there to there, and then we're free and we play. And that's how. That's what happens in a game. So this is what a session looks like. Whereas yeah. probably four or five years ago, I'd have definitely manufactured something with bells and poles and cones and a mannequin and a you know a drone and you know doesn't need it. it. Doesn't need it at all. And then the other thing you said about simplicity was that that's what Dick Bate was so good at. You know, and you mentioned him earlier, like I, you would, you would have a paragraph and he would say a sentence that would sum up your paragraph better than you, you did in a paragraph. And that's yeah. what I think is amazing about listening to, you know, when you talk about simplicity is key that for it to be simple, like he would say that sentence and you'd go, Oh yeah, of course. Like that's the best thing I've ever heard. But he would have he would have planned that sentence. That sentence would have took a year of planning, you know, of going through all that murkiness and and trialing things. And then he's got this thing, you know. And I think that's that's what you know. That's that's the journey, isn't it, that you mentioned? But that's what Dick Bate was so good at, keeping it really really simple, to the point it would actually shock you how simple and how amazing it was. Yeah, totally. And the thing the thing that. With with Dick was that he, it's memorable. Yeah, it was memorable. So, you know, if anybody who had the 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 the, the good fortune of ever spend any time with him on a course or in his company, if you mention his name and you talk about one v one defending, I would imagine most people would say something like close down, slow down, sit down, stay down. <laughs> that just sums up one v one defending in one sentence. Yeah. <laughs> ask anybody yeah. else they would write you a page on it <laughs> yeah. that's, that's what it is yeah. and, and it, that was the thing that really hooked me in with them so, so when, I, when I thought back to when, when I was an apprentice people used to ask me I can, I can remember sorry I'm going off on one here I can remember sitting at my mum and dad's dining room table after I'd been released and I'd got the taste for coaching and I started getting involved with the, the sessions and things and I thought, right, I'm going to get some paper and some pencils and I'm going to write down all the sessions that we used to do. And I wrote down about three and I couldn't remember any. <laughs> and one of them was football golf. <laughs> I, can't, I can't pull that out every day. So I've got football golf, I've got five aside and I've got uh, a bit of crossing and finishing. Okay, there must be more to it than this. And I, I dare say we did loads of stuff. I just can't, I couldn't remember any of it. So yeah. then I thought, well, okay, let's try and remember any of the things that I was coached and this might be to do with my listening skills or my not being receptive to coaching. I don't know, but again, I couldn't, I couldn't remember loads, but I could remember 
a really good coach who we had called Chris McMenemy. I used to play, I was like a fullback, an attacking fullback. And um, he used to say to me, the closer you get to the touch, the byline, the higher your cross needs to go. Don't ever forget that. High, closer to the edge, uh, the line of the, the last line of the pitch, the higher the cross needs to go. Now I'm, I'm 43 now, and that was when I was 16, and I can still remember him saying that. So like, it gets you thinking, well, what, what is it about that that made that stick with me all of these years? Yeah. And it was just, probably just the simplicity in how it was put across and the relevance to me, because I, I got myself into that position a lot of times after I left Newcastle um, at other clubs, and I remembered that. So the Dick Bate thing is about, I think you're right what you're saying, Matt, it's, it's the simplicity in it. And it's the, being memorable. Yeah, there's a, there's a really good book. I can't for the life of me remember the authors off the top of my head, but the book's called Sticky Ideas. And if you haven't, have you read it? It's, it's fantastic. No. It, uh, you should check it out. It's great. It's just about basically how our messages can get across so that they stick in people's minds. You know, I think it's, it's a really good book. It gives you loads of good examples. And we, we've, we've talked to Damien Hughes in the past, and he's talked about uh, a boxer and a coach in the corner. You know, and he said, if you want to, if you want to hear someone who's good at communication, go and stand in a corner of a boxing ring. You know, when when the bell goes, he's got sixty seconds. You know, fifteen of that is the guy walking over and getting his gum shield out and having a drink and getting his face fixed. He said he's got forty seconds, thirty seconds to get across something that's going to stop this guy getting punched in the head. You know, he said that's that's good good communication. You're under pressure and you've got to give him something. You know, in a line you know, similar to what we said about Dick Bay. It's just, they're, they're amazing things and the, the power of communication is just so important, isn't it? It is, and it's just, it's just, it's such a, it's such a broad topic and it will probably going around in, in a circle here back at the start. If you, if you think of when you go on your coaching award, whether it's level two, UEFA B, UEFA A, whatever, how much time's dedicated to communication? How much time's dedicated to this is how to use video analysis software and this is how to present it back to players or get players involved with the presentation of that. Very, very little. But I think we'd all agree that it's a massive learning resource for a coach. So then you think, well, okay, if I'm not getting that on the course, I need to go and find out a little bit about myself. So whether it's reading that book that you say or whether it's going to speak to somebody who can kind of fill the, the void that you might have in your knowledge base on communication. And then once you've got a bit of an idea on it, you start to see things that really reinforce what you've learned. So, you know, when, when Boris was coming on in the early stages of lockdown and it's stay at home, you know, he had his little three slogan. I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that's, it's like Dick Bate-esque that. It's just memorable. People can remember it and repeat it. Now, if More I'm, annoying, but, but very similar. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, slightly different subject, but... There, there is somebody there in the communications department who's putting that together because they wanted to kind of brainwash people's mind with that slogan. Yeah. And when I, when I went down to the Houses of, uh, Houses of Parliament, I got, a, I got a chance to speak to... I spent the morning with Jeremy Corbyn, who was a Labour leader at the time. Uh, we tried David Cameron, but we couldn't get through. Uh, and I, but I, spoke to, I spoke to somebody who was involved in the writing of David Cameron's speeches and 
they both kind of said the same thing, but then I heard this from other people as well, that if you can get people to repeat them little things, then you're making progress. So when you, when you, my little girl's like six years old, but when she was coming in from school, when she first went back to school, she was coming in and every day, hands, face, space. And I, yeah, I've got that, Ella, no problem, thanks. <laughs> and then she just seen it again. But they've been told it that many times, it's kind of, it's in there. And I think like going back to the Dick Bates stuff where close down, slow down, sit down, stay down. I probably picked that up when took the year 2000, but I've never, ever forgot it. It's just, yeah. it's memorable. So, yeah, sticky messages, good way of putting it, man. I like that. I'm having that. I'm nicking that. It's quite ironic that Matt couldn't remember the authors, though, of that book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I finished my first book last week, and uh, I'm thinking about colouring another one in this week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a good reader. <laughs> Neil, one thing I wanted to, to ask, which is uh, always quite a fascinating um topic i find at sort of 18s level how how do you blend development and sort of competitiveness or, or readying players for for the senior football how, how do you approach that that challenge i think i'm uh i'm in the early days of working on this lee to be honest with you uh i've only done the job for two years now and yeah, that that is one of the biggest challenges that you you find, uh, and I don't necessarily have any answers to it yet. I'm hoping the more I do it, you know, the more I become more astute in that department. Because um, ultimately, what 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 it's about is it's about getting players in the first team. That's the same as every youth team across the country. Um, but in order to do that, they have to function within a group so you can't necessarily neglect the team stuff and totally prioritize individual development because if the, the team's performing the individual will improve quicker um confidence i think plays a big part in this as well you know you you, you want your team to be doing well because confidence can have a big impact on people's progress and development and i, and I speak from personal experience when i was at the club myself um, and I, so I haven't, I haven't got a, a, an answer for you really. I think you, you, I dare say when you're planning the work, you, you, you're planning with the group in mind, you know, because it's a team game and you've got a game coming up at the weekend. So it, it is about, but then you very, very quickly need to get into the individual bit of what can I do for X, Y, and Z within this session that'll give them what they need it'll give them the realism the relevance the challenge the competitiveness to push them along so you you're always to kind of phrase you're always spinning the two plates aren't you um and i think i can only speak from my experience but i think there is times where i've what's well, quite a few times where i've caught myself going down the team route and I, and i need to quickly oh hang on stop a sec I'm getting involved in the strategy and the game plan and the opposition and, and all this. And I'm, it's, it, yeah, that's, that's happening. And it's important. It, it under 18s and a 23s level, of course, because ultimately people are looking at results. People are looking at league tables at that stage. When you're at the 16s down over, you know, none of that, none of that's visible. 
So there is an element of that, but we've got to, as I say, we, I'm talking about the staff that I work with, we've got to make sure that we're always focusing on the individual players because it'll be individuals that come through the system, not teams. Are you are you enjoying that challenge, mate? I know it's slightly must be slightly different to some of the roles you held with the the tens, the fifteens, the sixteens. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It's um, I think you need to have the, the thing that I've tried to do over the last two years. Which, in fairness, I I kind of been building this up over the years anyway. For when, because the job that I always wanted was the under 18s job at Newcastle United. That was always the ambition from the day I left. I want to come back but I want to be putting the cones out rather than picking them up. Well, congratulations, mate. You've, you've got there. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's but, a big achievement, isn't it? From someone who, like you said, didn't even know what you were going to do when you stepped out of that, signed on for the doll. And yeah. Really... It took a lot of, it took a lot of years. And that's probably the thing. I, you know, I became the under 18s coach, what, 2000 and, what would it be? 2019. But I actually started coaching in 1996. So it, it took a long time to get there, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't detract from anything that happened in that time because it was all part of the learning experience for when you eventually got there. But I think now that, now that I've, I am in the job, uh, that, that is always the biggest challenge that you have because the club, the club have a game model. Like most clubs, they have a way of playing. They have a way that they would like you to, to work. Um, and it's about you trying to bring that to life and, you have to kind of put your own preferences and your own philosophy if you like to one side for a second because you're working on behalf of an organisation now and they want you to do it this way, which is absolutely fine. But the thing that is always common throughout it is that it's about trying to help players. Uh, and, and that might be helping you know, the, the, the ones who are going to push through to the next level. And it's about helping the ones who maybe aren't going to do that, but helping them as best you can develop what they need to develop to take them onto the next bit. And that might be coaching like it was with me. Neil, can I, Neil. can I ask? Oh, sorry, 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 just a real well, quick one. Uh, feel free to, 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 to say no to this one, Neil, but was there any times along that journey that, that you maybe questioned, you know, like you, you, what next or, you know, where you thought, oh, am I, am I getting nearer to my goal? Cause it's like you said, you put in a lot of years and, and a lot of time spent working up, up the ranks and gathering mm -hmm. different experiences. Was there any times where you maybe confidence was a big thing? You said, did you, did you lack confidence or, or maybe think, well, maybe coaching's not what I thought it was going to be because um, I know in the past I've had conversations with Matt around what the future holds and all sorts. And sometimes you, you might have to reassess things and, and your, your, your pathway changes. I'd be keen to know if, if ever you had any experiences like that, if you're willing to share, feel free not to, mate. I don't want to be intrusive there. No, that's fine. Um, I think you have minor ones. I think you have minor ones along the way. I think, I mean, really minor one. We've all stood there on the pitch and it's pouring down with rain and the session's rubbish. <laughs> you just think to yourself, what is, what is this all about? Um, I think that, you know, if, if you... I dare say if you move up levels, we've all had moments over the years where... Your, your competencies questioned by parents. You know, um, I think I think I could go and 
speak to most grassroots coaches who are around the doors here and at some point a lot of parents saying well you don't know what you're doing or my kid's not getting this and he's not learning that and and then you start to think you know do I need this do I need this hassle I'm trying my best here and, and a lot of people uh, are doing it for nothing are doing it for nothing and we should never ever forget that and when somebody then starts to ask questions about why you're doing things and I've had that myself you think what what is this all about do I need this um, I think if I look back when I was at Newcastle, I, I go back to when the first year I was doing well, playing well, I was in the reserves, I was training with the first team. Uh, so, you know, people like Espria, Les Ferdinand, David Ginola, I, I was in amongst that and it's like, this is unbelievable. And then I think the reality of that dawned on us a little bit as to where I was and what was at stake. And the second year, I, I probably, my confidence was a bit shot and I, I dare say in coaching I still have that trait I still I'm, I'm a, I'm a self-doubter and I question I mean anybody that works with me would tell you this I question everything is this right is this the best way of doing it could we do this differently uh, have we done enough for this player today you know has anybody spoke to him and how's he feeling and people, Neil, is that also sorry to interrupt is that also a strength of yours though it is a strength, but on a personal level, it can take over your life and your yeah. thinking and you become a bit, you know, it's not perfectionism syndrome, but it's, you, you kind of cut, you can't put it down. Um, so it, it, it is a strength possibly, but it's, it's tiring. And I dare say the people that work with me, I'll probably get right on their nerves. Um, <laughs> but that's, it's that. It's the fear that you're not doing as good as you could and the fear that you could be doing better. And that, that brings about anxiety and, you know, you, you start to question whether you're doing the right thing and confidence takes a bit of a hit. So I think, but I think that's all coach. I think all coaches will have an, an element of that. And, and then I'm no different than anybody else. Probably the, the watershed moment was when I went on the Elite Coaches Award um, with... Uh, Dick Bate was the tutor, Steve Rutter, John Peacock, who were the, and, and uh, they still are, in my opinion, who were the top coach educators in, that I, I would go as far as in Europe, never mind this country. And you're just sitting in the room and, you, and I started to think to myself, I shouldn't be here. I'm, I'm not sure I'm good enough for this. I'm not sure that working with... I was working in non-league football at the time. I was working with a team called, uh, I think it was West Lockman Celtic. And where, where are you from? Oh, I'm from um, Crew. Where are you from? Oh, I'm from Manchester United. Where are you from? Oh, I'm from such and such. I'm thinking, my goodness, I shouldn't be here. Um, so you, uh, th that probably goes back to the self-doubt thing and your confidence takes a bit of a hit. But then I think I've, never, I've, I've tried not to run away from stuff like that. So... Come on, I'll, I'll, let's let's give it a go. Let's see what happens. Yeah, and, and very quickly you realise that once you get past all the smoke and mirrors, that you're as good as anybody. And that's not arrogance. It's just your self value and your self belief, and feel the fear and do it anyway. So let's just do it and let's see where we end up. Um, but yeah, I'm like anybody. I have dips and confidence the same as what players do on, on the opposite end of this sort of spectrum then you said that was you know that was your dream job and I know I, I know what 
a special place Newcastle is and, and this what you know the, the special sort of relationship between the, the club and the area. It is it is different. It is it is a different place and it is a has a different feel to it. And it's a I imagine, you know, being around there and from there and then getting your dream job there. How how did you feel getting that job when you got it as the 18s coach? What what was it a sense of relief or or, or was it um pride? Yeah. I would say pride. Um cuz I've, I've, like I say, I've, I've always worked for the club. I had, I had a period in the middle where I went and worked in non-league football because I was doing my A licence at the time and I was working with the under-13s at the academy. And I just felt that the type of work that they were going to require to do for the logbook, I was going to find really difficult to do Yeah. with the group that I had. And I went and asked, you know, is there a possibility? And at the moment, at that moment in time, there wasn't. And I was fine with that. And I just said, look, I, I might need to take a break here. So I went, I went away and I worked in non-league football to kind of get me through that stage of development so I've always worked for the club, but this this sounds really stupid, but I always wanted the initials on the kit. <laughs> yeah. Because I knew that I knew that when I when I got my initials on my training kit, I'd landed. Yeah. And I was full time. So all the times that I was part-time, you got the kit, but you didn't get the initials. I don't ever tell anybody this. I've probably never ever told anybody to be honest. Other than this is like therapy, this it's good. <laughs> <laughs> but when they say to you, you've got the job and then you, you put the you put the kit on which I'm a Newcastle supporter and I've 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 always lived in Newcastle to, to be representing them but in such a good position as well. Yeah. And have the have the badge on your chest and have the the initials on your kit, which is like, come on, then you're you're important now. You need to you need to step up to the challenge now. Just pride, total yeah. pride. Uh it's and it's never lost on us. It's never lost on us. That, that might sound soppy, but I only live a couple of miles from the training ground and a, and a few more miles from the, the, the stadium. Yeah. And um, I can remember going to my first match. I can remember sitting with my dad, watching Paul Gascoigne play at Newcastle. Um, I can remember when I was there as a player and I remember sitting watching David Ginola, who was the best player I've ever seen live. Yeah. Um, so then to be involved in the club, is it's just a huge honor. Yeah, it, it is a different place, isn't it? It's amazing, and and that that bond and you know I can hear it when you're talking. It's actually making me feel a little bit choked up thinking yeah, about it. It's yeah. just so special. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. It, it's just it's a type of. I, I met a guy the other day who uh, got in touch with me via Twitter, and, and I've been in, speaking to him on the phone. The Portuguese lad, a really nice fella. And he said he was passing because he was going up to Scotland to do his B licence. And he, would you mind coming and having a cup of tea and a chat about coaching and stuff? So I, I went and met him and we had a, we had a bit of chat and, and he showed me his document and his sessions he was doing. All this really good hour was spent. And I, I walked him up to the stadium to show him the stadium. And it, there's not many clubs that have got the stadium in the city. Yeah. And it's right in the middle of the city. Yeah. We call it the Cathedral on the Hill. So... They've built some buildings where the, the, the old brewery that sponsored the club used to be. So it's not as visible as what it used to be. But you could drive up the A1 and you, once you came around the bend at Dunstan, you could see this stadium on the hill. Um, 
and I'm I'm proud of it. Mm. Yeah, it's the best way of putting it. Yeah. Just to show you that day, I was actually proud to show him the stadium. Yeah, that, I mean, what the, the club's lucky to have somebody like that in there. That's that's why we do it, isn't it? That's that's why we do this these jobs because special moments like this. Now, with with that being your dream job or your ambition, you know that it's like the driver. Mm-hmm. What now? So you know, like you know, when you speak to people and you go, oh, "I want to be this," and then you get there. And then it's, you know, sometimes you've got there, you've done that. Well, well, what do I do now? And you sort of maybe lose focus or lose clarity or lose drive. If that's because that's been your driver for so long, you know, you said it's 96, you started coaching, you know, that, that by the way is amazing in itself, that the the journey you've been on, what now, now you've achieved that and you've got it. What, what's your ambition now? What's your driver? What's your, I thought, Matt, you were going to say that's amazing because you don't look like you're that old. I was going to, but I thought, you know, it's audio only, so no one will know. <laughs> no, no. Um, when, when, I, when I say that part of the course that I've just been, this counselling course I've been doing, they, they did a bit on like goals and aspirations and beliefs and values, which is kind of where a lot of courses seem to start these days. Yeah. And I've never, I've never ever been one for writing goals down. Don't know why. I kind of take things as they come. When I'm saying that that was always my dream job, there would be very few people that knew that. Yeah. Very few. Um, so I, I, t- I kind of take things as they come, and I think this, this is probably wrong because it's, you know, the, the people who are achieving the most in life have probably got really strong goals and uh, mentors and, you know, they're, they're pushing towards something all the time. I'm a bit more laid back than that. I kind of take things as they come. Now, that could be a downfall. Um, it could be a good thing. I don't know. But I haven't set myself any massive challenges. But I admire uh, people like Tony Whelan at Man United, mm-hmm. who I've never met, but I, I read about them and I hear about them. Yeah. Um, people like Tony Carr, um, Eric Harrison, who just seem to want to be really good youth coaches. Yeah. And I, and I think, again, this is just my opinion. I think sometimes people maybe wouldn't say that because it might come across that they're not aspirational and they haven't, they don't, why do they not want to work with the first team? Mm. Um, why do they not want to move up the ladder? Oh, just happy being in a comfort zone and all that. And I just think if you like what you do and you've learned a lot of your life to do what you do and for lots of people like the guys that I've mentioned there are very, very good at what they do, we'll do that. Yeah. Do that. Yeah. Um, so, be, you know, th- those those people that I've mentioned there are, are, are legends, aren't they, in youth football? Yeah. yeah. And I could name lots of others. Um, well, they've left, they've left a, a legacy. They've made a difference, didn't they? You know, yeah. they've made their imprint on a club and people and many people and players and parents and yeah. And I think I think that's kind of so I'm you know, I've never really thought about what's next. You know, you know yourself in football that opportunities are few and far between. Mm. Um I always I always set out years ago, which in this modern world wouldn't happen anymore, but I never ever wanted to interview for a job. So having the initials on the kit was one thing. 
I never wanted to interview for a job because I thought if I'm good enough for the job, I'll get headhunted. Someone will come and get us. And I think that would have been the case up until probably, you know, a few years back where, you know, the, and rightly, you know, equity and um, yeah. procedures and HR procedures mean that, you know, that, that just can't happen anymore. But I just want, yeah, I just want to be really good at what I do. I think um, I'll, I'll let you in, Lee. I saw you on mute, but I just wanted to say that I do, I, I do think that's a very humble answer because everything you've been talking about over, you know, however long we've been talking about hasn't just come to you. You know, you, you, you describe yourself as very laid back and I'll see what comes, but actually like you've talked to, you've talked about so many things where you've gone out and got these experiences and got these learning. So, you know, potentially maybe, you know, your ambition isn't around a role, but more around a mastery, you know, because you're, you're, you said yourself, I'm looking for a gap and I'm, I'm going to go and find the answer to that. And I'm going to go on that. So nothing, I don't think anything that you, you've talked about has just come to you. I think you've gone and got it. You know, you've gone and got it yourself. I think that's really clear from just talking to you. Quietly pushy. Maybe that's a good way to describe it. <laughs> <laughs> Quite, quietly pushy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Neil, we'll start to wrap up, mate. I, I said, I'd text Matt and said, oh, I don't want to, but we, we, we should give you some of your time back, especially as you said, the sun's out today, which is a rarity um, where you are. But one question that, that sprung to my mind, you, you said earlier you got a, you got a daughter and something that me and Matt talk about, I've re- recently become a dad. How, how does being a dad make you a better coach or vice versa? How does being a coach make you a better dad? Cause that's something I'm really, that's prevalent in my life now. And it'd be great to hear your, your answers on that. I get totally very regularly that I have more patience with anything to do with football than what I do with my daughter. <laughs> all the time. I'm, uh, I, I've got no patience. I get very frustrated quickly. Um, I'm, I'm a bit of a disciplinarian uh, in a nice way. Uh, mom, mom's the, the go-to person. Dad's the one that is an issue. Dad will sort it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I, would love, I would love to think that the stuff I've learned in coaching is translated across to being a dad. Um, I'm not sure it has. Um, yeah, I think I was, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I, I think if I take one example, if we talk about individual development plans or action plans, whatever you want to call them, when, when my little girl has her thing at school, I'm, I don't know it's a generation I'm from or my upbringing or what, I'm still in awe of the teachers. I'm, st- I'm still in awe of going to see the teacher. And when the head teacher speaks to you, it's like I'm six-year-old myself. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you've, got that res- you've got that respect for teachers. And I, and, I, and I went to see, there was a guy two doors up, moved into a house, um, and he's in the garden with his wife. And there's a guy looks at us, and I looked and I thought, I know him. He went, it's Neil, isn't it? I said, yeah. He says, oh, he says, oh, Long Benton High School. It was my form teacher from school. His daughter's moved in two doors up from us. And um, so I went into the school the other week to have a, a couple hours with him, have a cup of tea, and he showed me around. And it was brilliant to catch up. I took some of the old school books in to show him. And I still call him Mr. Williams. <laughs> I, couldn't bring, <laughs> I couldn't bring myself to call him by his first name. So I still call him Mr. Williams to this day. 
So I think go, going back, when you go into the school and I'm sitting with the teachers, this the stuff that they talk about, like maths is good and, and she can write this and she's good at reading that. And, and I'm like, yeah, yeah that's great. I mean, what you like as a person? Is she, is she okay? Does she got manners? Does she, is she respectful to the other kids? Does she smile all the time? Does she like doing the work? Do you ever have to tell her it's them things that I want to know? You can write the other stuff on a piece of paper. And to be honest, I can kind of see that with my own eyes. I can see that she's learning to read. I can see that she's, she can add up and subtract and all that because she comes and shows me. Um, I just want to know what, what she's like as a person. That's what I want to know. So I think in answer, it's one answer to your question, but as a dad, I then think of when I'm sitting there with the parents and the kids in front of me, and I don't think we should gloss over that type of stuff because ultimately percentages in football would tell you that the large majority of the players are not necessarily going to have a career at that club or in the game. So it's, it sounds coy, but you know, that, that's we're about producing people who can go on and do whatever they want to do. So I'm always interested in that stuff as a dad. I like to know how she's getting on and I like to know where she is compared to the other, uh, not the other kids in the class, but the kids of that age. Is she on track? Is she falling behind? Is there anything we can do to help her? Um, but but I want to know, is she a good person? So yeah. I think being a dad, you start to look at, I start to look at that type of stuff more in my work. Yeah. <clears throat> my, um, my coaching has changed ever so slightly in the sense since becoming a dad, I now appreciate a hell of a lot more what the parents go through or what, do you know what I mean? Whereas never being a dad, um, I always understood they were young, young men and they were somebody's son, but you, you don't quite know how important that person is to someone, do you? Until you have your own. It's too easy yeah. to see them as the footballer or, um, the right back or the left, do you know what I mean? But now it's yeah. like, well, I know what it's like to have a child. And it's just made me, like you said, all that other stuff is, is really important. So it's just uh, something that's been questions whizzing around my mind. So I appreciate you sharing them. That last couple from me, mate, before we before we let you go. And these are can be quite quick answers if, if you can. Um, we spoke about books and stuff. So have you got any recommendations for maybe for our listeners, something that you'd recommend they might read? Maybe something they might watch. Um, I know Matt and I have got a few, like not just football that we've we've took some from. And then maybe one piece of advice that you'd you'd leave out. There's been so much, by the way, today. But one piece of advice that you'd encourage any of our listeners to to, to really hold on to. Ooh, um, I probably the, the book one. I've probably used that gag already, so I don't, I don't need a lot of books. <laughs> don't read a lot of books I, I said what one of the books that i have got that i keep looking at is alan wade's book which is a bit of a bit of a uh, collector's item i think but i think you can still buy it but i remember dick used to always talk about alan wade was his mentor and, and all the rest of it so that's probably the that's probably the book that i've got that i've read um i'm just not very good at reading books i'll be honest so couldn't give any good advice i would love to hit you with a great paper back here but that would be like watching. Um, do you want is it going to be football related? It can be anything, no, 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 anything at all. Yeah, go for it. Uh, well, I, I, 
one of my hobbies is music. I like music. And there was a brilliant documentary on Sky Arts or Sky Atlantic not so long back on the story of Tamla Motown. And this was a production line that produced people like Marvin Gaye and The Temptations and Dinah Ross and the Supremes and all the rest of it. But if you ever if you ever get the chance to watch it, watch it. Even if you don't necessarily like the music, the process that they went through to produce them artists, there is so many links to football. If you just want, if you want to watch it and just think of it, if you think of the owner of the company as the chief executive or the football coach or whatever, um, yeah, really good. And I and I tell everybody at work to go and watch it because if you look for the links, are there. Uh, what was the other question? Uh, just one piece of advice. What, what piece of advice would you give someone looking to go through their coaching or develop their coaching career? Uh, that's a deep question, that one. <laughs> I think two things I would say. Be yourself. So be authentic. Because if you're, if you're not being yourself, it's very hard to keep that pretense up. So you're better off just being yourself and, and forging your own path. Um, and the other one I would say is ask why. Just keep asking why. Both of those, they, they're certainly evident in this, in you sharing your anecdotes and speaking Definitely. to you here, mate. So listen, um, Matt, I, I know we could we could keep keep Neil here for hours, couldn't we? And this, is, this has been fascinating, mate. So I can't thank you for your time. I know I'm confident anyone who listens is going to take loads from it. But as Matt said, who cares? Because this was all about me and Matt getting to pick your brain. So, <laughs> um, and we certainly, uh, I say, I can't Love wait to approach, get. I, I like can't wait to get. I can't wait to get back coaching myself now because I've uh, you, you've you've reinvigorated me again to to get out of this. So, listen, I, I won't wish you luck for the season because uh, I don't think you need luck because of the the way you you you, you approach things and and the sort of the journey you've been on, mate. So, uh, again, thanks so much for your time. I'm excited to see what the future holds for you, um, and yeah, wish you wish you every every success you deserve, mate. Uh, Lee, Matt, I appreciate the the invite. Um, I'm a big fan of your stuff that you just put out on Twitter and stuff as well. I know I've never met in person, but it's amazing that you feel like you know people, don't you, through social media. Um, Thanks, mate. And it's great that what you are doing as well, and and I really appreciate the chance to speak to you. Great stuff, Top mate. Mom. Thank you ever so much. Okay. Take care, mate. Cheers now.